The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, right across from the one of the only, the lovely, luscious Laura. Say hi, Laura. Hi. All righty. So you're sitting there telling me about this dude, Sims. And uh, we're, we're going to be talking about something that's really close to my heart, actually, because <laughs> I kind of like vaginas a lot. <laughs> right. Like, kind of a lot. Like, like it, it, in my life for loves, it goes like, it goes like guitars and music and vaginas. Well, this may be disturbing then <laughs> to you. <laughs> I'm already crying thinking about it. Tears coming out of my eyes. No, vagina's a terrible thing to waste. Yes. What are they doing? Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a little scary. <laughs> That's horrible. It's a terrible thing. All right. Well, so, give it to me. J. Marion Sims was an American physician in the field of surgery known as the father of gynecology. <coughs> His most famous work was the development of a surgical technique for the repair of a vesicovaginal fistula, which is a severe complication, usually from obstructed childbirth, which and it's like a it's like a tear between the wall between your bladder into your vagina. And it is horrible. <laughs> I can only imagine because I mean there's a lot of infections that can go on, like, you know, because I've been with a lot of girls during their, like, gyno exams and shit right. like that. You know, and I know that y'all don't want to get anything in there because it, it disrupts the natural bacteria. Which fucks everything up. Right. And that's time. how you get yeast infections and stuff like that. Yep. That's why I was shocked the first time that I uh, I went to a doctor's appointment with, uh, with I think it was my second ex-wife, and uh, she had a yeast infection. And the doctor said, okay, you're going to need yeast infection medication. And then, you know, you know your husband's going to need to put some on him so you don't get it again. But you need right. to start eating yogurt. And yeah, every day. Yogurt helps. And but Yeah, my brain's still like, what the fuck? Yogurt. Active cultures. Yeah, that's what he says. Yep. Active cultures, man. You don't ever want to get a yeast infection again. Have her eat fucking uh, yogurt. You should be fine. Like, it, 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 it kills it all. It's, yeah, so, it's good for your gut bacteria, too. And I, I already eat a lot of, I, well, not a lot, but I do eat yogurt every day. Yeah. That's the one healthy thing I've been eating the last two weeks. I I went back to eating like a campground raccoon a little bit. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, kombucha also. Oh, that's no, really no. good. Fuck you guys both on the kombucha. Let me tell you why. I've tried that shit. That stuff is fucking disgusting. I'm very particular yeah. on what flavors I like and which ones. Like I can't just drink any of them. I would be like, this is cats, disgusting. I'll lick yeah. my cat's butthole <laughs> before I drink any kombucha ever. I tried them. Oh, everybody's raving about this. Must be fucking good. And I tried to drink them. Oh, oh, nope. It's a little like, easier for me to have the kombucha because I'm lactose intolerant. So I love yogurt, but I have to always uh, make sure that I have lactate before. And they have a really tasty lactose-free Yogurt, but I can't, like, they sell it in the huge size, but of course, nowhere around us. I can <laughs> well, only course. find the small ones, and I'm like, all I want is the fucking vanilla. I want a giant tub of vanilla. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> yeah, if, if you're listening, Yammy, please <laughs> make it more available. So, oh, man. All right, so let's talk anyway. about this, uh, <laughs> this vagina doctor. So, he's also remembered for inventing uh, the, the first speculum. Kinky. Yeah, which he 
because he needed to see inside, obviously, which is what you do with that. He the first his first time, like his idea for the speculum, was to he took a spoon and like bent it in sort of in half so he could use one part of it to push down while he looked inside <laughs> from behind. The yeah. Fuck? <laughs> Keep in mind, like this is like the. Mid eighteen hundreds when this is happening. So okay, honey, bend over. I've got a set of spoons here. Yeah, <laughs> this ain't this ain't yogurt time. This ain't yogurt time. Oh, um, and also the uh, his uh, sigmoid catheter, which I mean we all know what catheters are for oh, peeing. Yeah. yeah, and what's known as the Sims position. Um, usually used for rectal examination, enemas, and examining women for vaginal wall prolapse. I am so, so going to use that term. Uh, Okay, assume the Sims position. (laughs) It's actually a lot of the time how I sleep. (laughs) Now that I'm looking at it, (laughs) it looks like this. Except my shoulder isn't back because I can't sleep on it like that but yeah. i think leg straddling myself when i look at that picture <laughs> straddle that leg no problem man i mean that's yeah uh, anyway we'll leave my sex life out of it for right now again <laughs> yeah we can't against uh significant opposition he established in new york the first hospital specifically for women he was forced out of the hospital he founded because he insisted on treating cancer patients. Um, he was instrumental in cr- the creation of the nation's first cancer hospital, which opened after his death. But they were like, this is not what we're doing here. So you can't do that. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ, man. He. Yes. James Marion Sims, who was called Marion, did not go by James, decided Marion was better. Was born in uh, Lancaster County, South Carolina, the son of John and Mahala Sims. For his first 12 years, Sims's family lived in Lancaster Village, north of Hanging Rock Creek, where his father owned a store. Uh, Sims later wrote of his early school days there, because he did... I wonder if his dad sold a bunch of spoons. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> that's, that's just, just, just buttering. Yeah, yes. yeah he's, he's, yes. he's a spoon man. Yeah, that's it right there. And then he, yeah, okay. My my mind's my mind's on Pornhub right now. Just thinking about the That's kind of where our minds live anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's very yeah. true. That's very true. I'm going to be uh I'm going to be asking a certain lady if I can bring some spoons. <laughs> uh after his father was elected sheriff of Lancaster County, he sent Sims in 1825 to the newly established Franklin Academy in Lancaster. In 1832, after two years of study at the predecessor of the University of South Carolina, South Carolina College, where he was a member of the Euphradian Society, Sims worked with Dr. Churchill Jones in Lancaster, South Carolina. He took a three-month course at the medical college of yeah, Charleston. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, he moved to to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in in 1834 and enrolled at the Jefferson Medical College where he graduated in 1835, but that was only a year long. So he went to medical school for a year and three months. You know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering if I could just tell ladies, you know, 
I took a three-month course. <laughs> <laughs> I did it online. Trust me. I did it online. Trust me. I YouTubed it. <laughs> Correspondence, yes. That's what I was looking courses. for. Did watch, watch a few YouTube videos. Can I see your vagina, please? I've got <laughs> spoons. <laughs> so, um, no kidding. <laughs> no shit. No, hold um, me into the spoon theory. When he moved there and enrolled at Jefferson Medical College, where he graduated in 1835, as as a lackluster student who showed little ambition after receiving his medical degree, as he put it, I felt no particular interest in my profession at the beginning of it, apart from making a living. I was really ready at any time and at any moment to take up anything that offered or that held out any inducement of fortune because I knew that I could never make a fortune out of the practice of medicine. And then he discovered vaginas. <laughs> he returned to Lancaster to practice. Um, as of that date, he had no clinical experience uh, logged at the hospital. No experience diagnosing illnesses like they did. They were like, okay, well, we've taught you enough, hopefully not to kill anybody. You know what keeps running through my head, like, seriously, because I'm fucked up? Uh, <laughs> I have no experience, but I have spoons. <laughs> <laughs> well. I, just, I see him running around the damn hospitals. And I spoon, go, but I have idea. spoons. I got an idea. I've got two spoons. Ma'am, ma'am, come here. <laughs> Let me check you out. <laughs> well, after his first two patients died, uh, Sims left and set up a practice in Mount uh, Miggs near Montgomery, Alabama. He described this settlement in a letter to his future wife, Teresa Jones, as nothing but a pile of gin houses, stables, blacksmith shops, grog shops, taverns, and stores thrown together in one promiscuous huddle. And piles of spoons and vaginas. (laughs) He was there from 1835 to 1837, Sims visited Lancaster in 1836 to marry Teresa, whom he had met years, many years earlier when a student in Lancaster. She was the niece of Churchill Jones that he had gone to school, gone to school with, yeah, uh, and had studied at the South Carolina Female Collegiate Institute. She oh. probably knew more than he did. Oh, okay, so at the time there was like female and male schools? Apparently oh, so. No, you know, I, I really didn't know that. I, I, I thought that most schools were like fucking, I, I almost said like bisexual. But, um, <laughs> co-ed. co-ed. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I thought most schools were bisexual because the school I went to was. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay, John just told me that it's not wasn't until like the late sixties that the schools became USAO like which is in combined. Oklahoma, used to be, uh, Oklahoma Women's College. Oh sure. Oh. Yeah. See, I think that's fucked up, and the, 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 it's probably just because of my own views on college. Because when I went to college, you know, the the best part of it, outside of the fact that I loved my education, believe it or not, because I love school, <laughs> was you know pretty much chasing pussy. Right. You know. Yeah, you're there to get a husband. Yeah. Hey, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Continue on now that so. I know about vaginas, <laughs> meat markets, spoons. Spoon-fed vaginas. spoon-fed vaginas, which, oh my God. Dude, I now have a new <laughs> fetish. 
This is there, the, I'm sure it's not new if you can think of it. Uh, it's there's the first, porn for it. Well, true, but this is the first time I've ever thought yes, about using. Yes, rule 34, exactly. This is the first time I've thought about using spoons on a vagina. I'm, just, <laughs> I bit, I'm sitting there going, huh, it might be interesting. Yogurt, vagina, same thing. That's right. I'm going to get my late gynecology degree. <laughs> so in 1837, Sims and his wife moved to Macon County, Alabama, where they remained until 1840. He was a plantation physician <laughs> who had a partnership in a large practice among rich plantations. Sims became known for operations on club feet, cleft palates, and crossed eyes. That was a big thing in the South, I'm telling you. It was like up until like... Fuck, even like the 70s and 80s and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. It's, because I, unfortunately in the South, and I hate saying this about, you know, my home, uh, kind of a lot of inbreeding. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a lot. Especially like uh, if you're talking like Arkansas or even Bama or Louisiana or anything right. like that. Or the, you know, some, some parts of Georgia. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of inbreeding going on. <laughs> So this was his first experience treating enslaved black women who were brought to him by their owners. Um, in 1840, the couple moved to Montgomery, Alabama, where they lived until 1853. There, Sims had what he described as the most memorable time of his career. Within a few years, he had the largest surgical practice in the state, the largest practice that any doctor in Montgomery had ever had up to that time. He was immensely popular and greatly loved. Well, Montgomery, Alabama is huge, man. I mean, that, that's a big fucking town. In Montgomery, Sims continued treating slaves who made up two-thirds of the city's population. Um, he built a hospital for the slaves that he bought or he he rented them like he would pay their owners to keep them while he was I don't want to say experimenting but it's basically experimenting that's exactly what he did man think yeah about, you know uh, think about how, how the, the slaves have always been treated uh, up until you know the uh, emancipation right they, even the best of slave owners that treated what others would consider extremely well their Mm -hmm. slaves still didn't treat their slaves very good you know what i mean like like hey i only beat mine like twice a day and they're like wow how can you not okay why aren't you beating them 10 times a day because this is what they need to keep them in line exactly exactly yeah that's it my tongue started wrapping around my head because i'm thinking about spoons in 1845, he was brought a woman with a condition he had not seen before, which was the the vesicovaginal fistula that I was telling you about. Um, in the 19th century, these fistulas, though not fatal, were a common socially destructive and catastrophic complication of childbirth that affected many women. There was no effective cure or treatment. Lacking adequate birth control, women generally had a high rate of childbirth, which increased their rate of complications, plus they were really young, which can make it a little more difficult, depending on someone's size. Um, Vesicovaginal fistulas occur when the woman's bladder, cervix, and vagina become trapped between the fetal skull and the woman's pelvis, cutting off blood flow and leading to tissue death. 
the necrotic tissue later sloughs off, leaving a hole. Following this, <laughs> yeah, following this injury, as urine forms, it leaks out of the vaginal opening, leading to a form of incontinence. Because a continuous stream of urine leaks from the vagina, it's difficult to care for. Uh, the victim suffers personal hygiene issues that may lead to margin- marginalization from society and, of course, vaginal irritation, scarring, and loss of vaginal function. Uh, Sims also work to repair rectovaginal fistulas, a related condition, <laughs> in which flatulence and feces escape through a torn vagina leading to fecal incontinence. I cannot imagine ew, that ew. oh my god yeah that is you yeah. uh, <gasps> ah. Ah. i just left a bad taste in my mouth <laughs> you shouldn't put your mouth there anymore if it's doing that <laughs> in the mid-19th century gynecology was not a well-developed field The practice of examining the female organs was considered repugnant by doctors. In medical school, doctors were often trained on dummies to deliver babies. That, yeah. (laughs) They did not see their first clinical cases of women until beginning their practices. So Sims had no formal background in gynecology prior to beginning his practice in Alabama. He remarked in his autobiography that if there was anything I hated, it was investigating the organs of the female pelvis. What a nice guy. He's a dick and an <laughs> idiot, man. Like, serious. Because I, I, even though we're talking about something that's fairly gross, I still say vaginas are, like, vaginas are fantastic. I would agree. You know, I think that there should be statues to them, and we should honor vaginas. That's just me. <laughs> because they are just, they are fucking Fabulous. When an enslaved woman was brought to him with an injured pelvis from a fall from a horse, he placed her in a knee-to-chest position and inserted his finger into the vagina. This allowed Sims to see the vagina clearly and inspired him to investigate fistula treatment. Soon after, uh, he developed a precursor to the modern speculum using a pewter spoon and strategically placed mirrors Hold on, I'm writing this down. I need pewter <laughs> spoons and mirrors. I wonder if Amazon has that. Yes, yes they do, so yeah. I'm, I'm ordering from Amazon right now. I'm sorry, Don. <laughs> this is going to be a little party. Party, party. And uh, you're invited, too. Uh, <laughs> Sims was not the first to successfully treat a vesicovaginal fistula, however. He was preceded by Dr. George Hayward in 1839 and John Peter... Medauer in 1838. Um, from 1845 to 1849, Sims started doing experiment, experiments on enslaved black women to treat vaginal problems. He added a second story to his hospital for a total of eight beds. He developed techniques that have been the basis of modern vaginal surgery. A key component was silver wire, which he had a jeweler prepare. What is sonar wire? Silver. Oh, silver. Sorry, I misheard. Okay. The Sims vaginal speculum aided in, <laughs> patented, <laughs> <laughs> aided in vaginal examination and surgery. 
the rectal examination position in which the patient is on the left side with the right knee flexed against the abdomen and the left knee slightly flexed is also named for him. Hold on, hold on. I just thought about something. I'm a little pissed off at my doctor because whenever I have to get the little pokey poke in the butt, mm-hmm. I don't get the Sims position. Okay, Scotty, just drop your pants and uh, bend over. You're going to feel a little bit of pressure. And then they say the worst thing in the world to me, which is try to relax. Right. Here's a here's a newsflash for y'all. When they say that, you don't relax. Well, uh, they say the same thing when they're about to put a speculum in. Just I'm try and relax. I'm like, well, this is a giant cold, really cold metal thing you're sticking in there. And sometimes it could be the first time I've ever met you. But hello, uh, here you like, go. Can you breathe on it a little bit? Can warm you like hold it in your hand at least first? Warm that motherfucker up. up. But their hands put... are always freezing anyway. You're getting ready to put that in my cooch. Why don't you warm that motherfucker up yeah. a little bit, motherfucker? Put in some warm water. <laughs> in Montgomery, between 1845 and 1849, Sims conducted experimental surgery on 12 enslaved black women with fistulas in his backyard hospital. <laughs> whoa, whoa, I'm sorry, what? His like, backyard out, hospital. It's like he's out in his shed. He's like, okay, right over here is Michonne. I have an yeah. awl and a hammer over here for a little bit of wood carving. <laughs> you know, I'll and, just brush and, this off here. Let's just, Get let's up just here. move the sawdust off. Okay, slave lady, lay up here. I'm yeah. going to get into this uh, position with your knee up to your chest because I'm going <laughs> to poke you in the butt. With a spoon. With a spoon. A pewter spoon. Uh, they were brought to him by their owners. Sims asked for patients with this fistula and succeeded in finding six or seven women. Sims took responsibility for their care on the condition that the owners provide clothing and pay any taxes, and Sims provided the food. Once he purchased expressly for the purpose of experimentation when her master resisted Sims' solicitations. Yeah, she was like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, "Uh, you're fucking doing it. (laughs) That is fucked up. Yeah. So he named three enslaved black women in his records. Anarcha, Betsy, and Lucy. Okay, hold on. Now, here, all these women came from Africa. But yet, they have normal names because they're probably renamed when they Uh, got here. Because that's exactly what happened. As opposed to the Have you not seen Roots? I have. <laughs> last time I saw, last time I saw, that was your name is Toby. No, it's but Kunta Kinte. <laughs> like. I wish that they would do that to the fucking Russians. And what? And here's why I'm not against Russians because every time we do a Russian name, there's like fifty goddamn consonants, not a vowel in sight. Yes, you know. Agreed. What's his name? Dragovina Tonga Tanga Pingadimski. You're like, yeah, that's that's like fifty <laughs> letters, and that's one vowel. That's that's not a that's not a name. That's that's what that is. That's that's not a fucking that's name. That's not a name. You yeah. made that shit up. That, 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 his name's Fred. That's that's his fucking name now. His <laughs> that's what you're called Fred. now. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm gonna rename every Russian that we do from now on. I swear to God, I'm a. This is how they spell his name. We're gonna call him Fred <laughs> because I'm not even gonna try. I'm not I, even I, doing this. Yeah. Well, I was listening to our last episodes that we've done with people that are from that area, from like Russia and Ukraine and and Slavia and things like that, and. I'm listening to myself trying to pronounce these damn things phonetically. Yeah. And I'm like, um. Even that's difficult. That sounds. Sometimes. It sounds like I'm garbling marbles while taking a fist in my butthole. <laughs> um, we're just going to rename these motherfuckers. It should have a slightly angry sound. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's called the Russian winner. <laughs> gargling a uh, bunch of marbles in my mouth while being fisted. It's great. Oh. 
Good times, good times. There's a party in my pants and I wasn't even invited. <laughs> you did not consent to this. Did not consent to this party. Everybody out of the pool. So each of these women suffered from fistula and were all were subjects of his surgical experimentation. From 1845 to 1849, he conducted experimental surgery on each of them several times, operating on Anarcha 30 times before the repair of his fistulas was declared a success. Holy shit. How many times? 30? 30. Over 30 times. Like three. God damn. And he was not using... There was no anesthesia there was no numbing of this nothing it was like just get up here and we're gonna do this okay now my vagina hurts like yeah. for real like i don't even have a vagina but my vagina hurts that's i'm god that's which up, man. is i mean they weren't really using ether yet at that point but still there had to be something i just i can't even i can't imagine that thank oh, you very either, much man. i cannot have that I, I just damn. can't um, she had both the the vesicovaginal and the rectovaginal fistulas, which he struggled to repair. Sims ignored the AMA's code of ethics and Jones Council. Notwithstanding repeated failures during four years' time, he kept his six patients and operated until he tired out his doctor assistants and finally had to rely upon his patients to assist him to operate. I'm sorry, I'm sorry what? Yep. Like, okay, I've had several surgeries and never once has... I'm so glad for modern medical. Like, could you hold this? <laughs> hey, Scott, I know that we have you cut open right now, but um, you mind holding this for me? Hey, you need you need some suction over here. Suck that blood out. No, yeah. right there. No, yeah. you're fine. You're fine. It's just not but a flesh wound. Unlike his previous essays, which included at least a brief description of his patients, the article issued in the American Journal of the Medical Sciences is devoid of any identifying characteristics of the three women that he successfully finally did these surgeries on. Um, Sims did not anesthetize the women he operated on while developing his fistula repair technique. Anesthesia was itself still experimental. Early anesthetic agents were much more dangerous than the replacements developed later. Dosing was experimental. Uh, Underdosing did not kill the pain. Overdosing could and sometimes did kill the patient. Chloroform could be obtained from a druggist, but nitrous oxide in the highly flammable ether had to be manufactured by the surgeon on the spot. Jesus fucking Christ. In Sims' day, surgeons were trained to operate quickly on unanesthetized patients. Anesthesia was first used in dentistry and was just being announced as an exciting novelty in privately published pamphlets, some claiming credit for the anesthetic's first use at the same time as Sims' fistula repair <laughs> experiments. Sims was well-informed and subscribed to medical journals. He must have read one of the many reports about research into anesthesia. Uh, religious objections to anesthesia were brought up. <laughs> God wants you to feel this, okay? Pray pray the pain away. Yeah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We're going to pray. Dear Lord, Please have her vagina not hurt so bad. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sims later became an expert on anesthesia, publishing on nitrous oxide in 1868 and in 1874 on chloroform. In 1874, Sims addressed the New York State Medical Society on the 
discovery of anesthesia in which he claimed American precedence over the British and in 1880 read to the New York Academy of Medicine a paper soon published about a death from anesthesia. Although anesthesia had very recently become available and used experimentally, Sims did not use any anesthetic during his procedures on these three women. According to Sims, who later published a history of anesthesia, it was not generally known until 18, in 1846, and he was unaware of the use of ether. Experimental use of ether can, as an anesthetic was performed as early as 1842. However, it was not published or demonstrated until 1846. Um, in a 2006 review of Sims' work in the Journal of Medical Ethics, said that Ether anesthesia was first publicly demonstrated in Boston in 1846, a year after Sims began his experimental surgery. See, that's what gets me. They're calling it the, the book of ethics. There is no ethics in what he's doing. Like, no. I'm, I'm for real, man. I mean, I understand that there's a problem and you need to have a cure for the problem. You know, hey, I totally get that. Totally get that. But for fuck's sakes, man. Over 30 times with yeah. no anesthesia? Man, fucking numb them up a little bit, treat them good, you know, because, okay, even in today's day and age, when, when I know that I go, gotta go in and, and get anything done and they're going to give me anesthetic for whatever surgery is going to happen to me, um, I know that I'm going to get numb, but I'm still terrified, of man. Of course. Can you imagine what those women went through? I, uh, I mean, you're, you're, getting, <laughs> you're getting treated like shit on the plantation. Yeah. You know, you've already got a, a problem that has affected your social life. So people are like, bitch, you stink. Um, your kid could have been sold also as right, well right. that caused this problem. And on top of everything else, this guy here is going to violate you at, at every turn and no anesthesia. No anesthesia. Here, <laughs> bite on this. Fucking barbaric. Jesus Christ. Man. Yes. Just, yeah. Um, the article notes that while Ether's use as an anesthetic spread rapidly, it was not universally accepted, yeah, at the times of his surgery. In addition, a common belief at the time was that black people did not feel as much pain as white people. Well, that's true. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. Shut up. I'm so <laughs> kidding. Please do not bomb my house or shoot me. That was a joke. That was. That is true. I actually read a whole story about yeah. that. Redheads only make up like 1% or 2% of, or maybe it's 3% of the population. Is it 3? Okay, I knew it was something like that, something super low. But they have a, like, it, it takes like three times more anesthetic. To numb to them. To numb them. Yeah. Which is, I only found that out because I started reading about that after I had uh, some teeth pulled. And uh, it was an emergency pull. She gives me uh, a shot in my jaw. And she Pokes, she says, can you feel this? Yeah, I can still feel that. And then she pokes it again. She goes, oh, I see the red in your beard. Are you a natural redhead? I said, no, I'm actually naturally blonde. I'm a calico. I get blonde <laughs> hair, and then my fucking beard is red, and then my chest is like just a patchwork of fucked up. Um, <laughs> but um, she goes, yeah, redheads, it takes a lot more to, uh, to numb them up from anything. Like, oh, motherfucker, okay. Which sucks because I was hoping she'd just poke my jaw once and be done. And be, yeah, yeah. And be done. Like, okay, we're going to pull that tooth. And I'm like, oh, sweet, get the motherfucker out of my head. To the flip side of that, I had another one that had an abscess. Ooh. And I got into the, to the, uh, to the dentist, and she's like, okay, I'm going to give you some anesthetic. I'm like, don't just yank the motherfucker. Just yank it now. Because I, I, was, I was eating 
15 fucking ibuprofen at a time just to keep the pain at bay so I can actually function. Yep. And she's like, okay, I'll do it, but if you feel any pain, I'll give you a shot. As she was pulling it, it actually felt good. I was going to say, as soon as you take the pressure off the abscess, yeah, it will feel a, a lot better. It was, and this is not even me being a fucking pervert, but it was damn near orgasmic. Yeah. Well, after being in that much pain, I having that, like I had dry socket with all of my wisdom teeth, and it was so painful that I thought, this is why people killed themselves oh, totally. when they had like tooth pain before there was anything you could do about it. It, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. I keep... No, I have all my teeth. I keep them in a fucking jar because <laughs> I wear a full set of dentures. They're, they're all mine. They're they look so it. nice. <laughs> Not me. I brush my teeth by taking them motherfuckers out. So the one patient, Lucy, um, nearly died from sepsis. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. He had operated on her without anesthetics in the presence of 12 doctors following the experimental use of a sponge to wipe urine from the bladder during the procedure. Oh, what the fuck? Okay, so now she's being degraded even further because he's saying, hey, guys, come over and watch this shit go on. Yeah. Let's just all gather around while I'm sitting there. Come and see the show. Fuck. So she got sepsis because he left the sponge in her urethra and bladder. What the flying fuck? He did administer opium to the women after their surgery, which was accepted therapeutic practice of the day. So at least they got a little something. (laughs) A little bit. Here, we'll throw you a bone. Fucking A, man. After the extensive experimental surgery and complications, Sims finally perfected his technique. He repaired the fistulas successfully um, in Anarcha, but like we said, it took 30 surgeries in order for him to get that far. Uh, he was the first to use silver as a suture, thus avoiding the infections associated with silk sutures, which that's smart. Uh, the silver wire sutures developed in 1849 were, uh, were what allowed him to finally repair Anarcha's fistulas. Uh, Sims published an account of this in his surgical reports of 1852. He proceeded to repair fistulas in several other enslaved black women. Um, according to Dorenda Ojanuga, from, I love that name, man. Yes, from the University of Alabama, <laughs> many white women came to Sims for treatment of vesicovaginal fistula after the successful operation on Anarcha. However, none of them, due to the pain, were able to endure a single operation. So that tells you how much Well, yeah, man. it hurts, obviously. Um, oh, well, believe me, I didn't even doubt it. Well, even, yeah. And that's I, why I didn't yeah. even make jokes about fucking, hey, just you know, suck it up. Because, fuck, there's, there's no way that any of that, even him trying to see inside. You know, let's, uh, let's put the surgeries aside. You're going in there. You're you're already probably septic. You've you've got an infection going on, and you know now he's going to put his finger inside to go. Okay, let's see what's going on. Yeah, that's gotta hurt like a motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. God <laughs> damn, man. The uh, the Journal of Medical <laughs> Ethics. Here we go again with ethics. Reported a case study of one white woman whose fistula was repaired by Sims without the use of anesthesia in a series of three operations carried out in 1849. 
Sims later moved to New York to found a woman's hospital where he performed the operation on white women. According to Ojanuga, Sims used anesthesia when conducting fistula repair on white women. Of course he did, man, because, you know, uh, black people were treated like, seriously, like garbage. Yeah. And it's uh, just, I, I make a lot of jokes about every race and what have not, you know, and for the time when slavery was still a thing, Fuck, that's no joke in matter because Jesus fucking Christ, man, they were literally treated like like you could walk up and shoot a black person in the face. Yeah. And they'd be like, you need to pay me for that slave. Yeah. Like, well, it's wait a just minute, a... I just killed a person. Yeah. It, it, it's not a person. That's yeah. a slave. Pay, pay, pay me the $100 I spent for it, you know. and Replace my property. Yeah, replace my property. It's, God, it's fucking disgusting, man. Um, L.L. Wall, also writing for the Journal of Medical Ethics, states that as of 1857, Sims did not use anesthesia to perform fistula surgery on white women, citing a public lecture where Sims spoke to the New York Academy of Medicine on November 18, 1857. During this lecture, Sims said that he never used anesthesia for fistula surgery, quote, because they are not painful enough to justify the trouble and risk attending their administration. <laughs> Fuck me. How would you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's just... Uh, While acknowledging this as shocking to modern sensibilities, Wall noted that Sims was expressing the contemporary sensibilities of the mid-1800s, particularly among surgeons who began their practice in the pre-anesthetic era. Um... Annika, Lucy, and Betsy, the three enslaved black women experimented on by Sims uh, without consent, are memorialized in a statue entitled Mothers of Gynecology, erected in Montgomery, Alabama, on September 24th, 2021. I think they deserve that. uh, Let me give you my take on slavery. I understand that people owned slaves and that was the thing at the time and it was it was socially acceptable. That's fine. Honestly, I have no problem with that. None. However, I wouldn't beat a dog right into submission. No. Be- why? Because it's not ethical. You don't you don't treat other creatures that way at all, you know, unless it's warranted. Don't get me wrong, I man. Somebody's going to try to kick your ass and by all means well, yeah. beat their fucking face in. Right. But um <laughs> so I I understand it was socially acceptable at the time, and, 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 and like I said, I'm okay. I'm, I'm I'm okay with that part of it. My problem is is taking let's let's call them what they were at the time, which is livestock. Yeah, taking your livestock and abusing it to a point to where you you know that they're in pain, you know that you're hurting them, and it's it's ludicrous. It's just it's. It, if you want people to work well for you, like I mean, they're owned, so it ha- you you should make it the best experience it could be. I guess. I mean, if you you need right. morale to be high in order to get good, consistent results. Uh, exactly. You know, it comes out of mutual respect and and <laughs> you, you fuck. It's, I can't believe that's just. I, I, I'm trying not to get on my soapbox because I just stuff like that pisses me off. I don't. Yeah. I don't believe in torturing anybody. No, um, unless they're a child molester. If they're a child molester, it's a little different. If you or they're asking me to. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying that people out there should murder child molesters or torture them. I'm just saying, if you are or do, 
Uh, you get a pass on that one. I kind of get it. I get yep. it. Yeah. I yep. Like, mm, You're doing society a favor. Yeah. Take out the garbage. That's what it is. Fuck. Uh, yeah. During his early medical years, Sims also became interested in Trismus nasentium, also known as neonatal tetanus, that occurred in newborns. A 19th century doctor described it as a disease that has been almost constantly fatal, commonly in the course of a few days. The women are so persuaded of its inevitable fatality that they seldom or ever call for the assistance of our art. Uh, It's a form of generalized tetanus. Infants who have not acquired passive immunity from the mother have been immunized, mother having been immunized, are at risk for the disease. It usually occurs through infection of the unhealed umbilical stump. Particularly stump, yeah. Particularly when the stump is cut with a non-sterile instrument. Well, that makes sense. Well, yeah, you think? Yeah. Oh, who who would have thunk it? If you open up any kind of a wound with a unsterile instrument, yeah. you might get an infection. Ah, I learned something new. Who, Who knew? would have thought that? Yeah, <laughs> just a fucking amazing. In the 21st century, neonatal tetanus mostly occurs in developing countries, particularly those with the least developed health infrastructure. It is rare in, in developed countries. It's now recognized to be the result of unsanitary practices and nutritional deficiencies. Well, yes. In the 19th century, though, its cause was unknown, and many enslaved African children contracted this disease. Medical historians believe that the conditions of the quarters of enslaved people were the cause. Sims alluded to the idea that sanitation and living conditions played a role in its contraction. Well, it's very true, you know, because as our listeners know, and as you guys know, I was raised doing cattle, um... The one thing you have to do, it, it doesn't matter if you're doing range cattle or, or dairies or whatever, is you've got to keep the area fairly waste-free. That's yes. why now in a lot of like dairies, for example, because we did beef cattle, we didn't do dairies, but we still brought our cows inside, uh, you know, at mm-hmm. certain times and shit like that. You have scrapers. They're automatic scrapers. They scrape all the fecal matter in the urine into a trough and it gets, you know, washed out. Right. You've got to keep the area Fairly clean. clean. Why? It keeps the bacteria down, which means that your cattle are going to survive longer. Right. It's the same reason why. Um, so what we would do is uh, we would round up, uh, you know, certain tag numbers because every few months you got to check them. You check them for things like abscess and things like that. So you lance the abscess um, with a sterile scalpel. Right. And then you pack it with an antibiotic cream and they're good to go. Yeah. But you're not letting them wallow around in a bunch of fucking shit and right. urine and and just nastiness because that's going to infect your cow, man. Yeah. <laughs> which, it's common sense which, to me. Know, <laughs> well, what, what happens, because you, you and John have roommates, what happens when one of you get the flu? Right. There's a good chance that you're going to spread it. Yeah. To everybody else. If you're in contact with cows... They, if, if they get, let's let's call it the cow flu, just for argument's sake. Right. Um, <clears throat> they're in the herd. So now old Bessie, tag number 121, is rubbing against Martha, 122. And now Martha's got the cow flu. Yeah. Who's going to spread it to the rest of the fucking herd. And it takes that strong herd 
and makes it weak. Now, why am I using cow analogies? Because I know about cows. Yeah. But in slave quarters, it's the same way. You know, it's not like they all had these like, nice comfy beds. Okay, I'm going to go to my room now because I'm a slave and I have my own room and my own comfy bed and I'm just going to get better. No, that's not, that's not the way it happened. No. You're kind of piled in there and I'm bathed, I'm yep. washed, and then sweating all day, still sick. And what happens is that that bacteria, that infection comes out in your sweat, your saliva, all of your, basically your mucous membranes. Yeah. And you're going to spread that to everybody Everybody else. in there. And everybody outside of there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, and they go, well, you know, we'll just watch them all. It's just, it, the whole thing just pisses me off. Mm-hmm. It just, it really does. Like I said, I understand the thinking at the time, while I don't condone slavery in, in, in that fact, because we're, we're all slaves to something. Like, we're all slaves to a job. Right. Um, that's just my thought on it. <laughs> but, uh, um, I don't believe that anybody should be treated just like garbage like that. No. It's just fucking, I really, and you know what the fucked up thing is? I bet you at the time they all thought that they were smart as fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, they did. You know, and it's like, no, 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 you guys were dumb as shit. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I, I've seen fungus on the ground that's smarter than you motherfuckers. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just, I, I get all bitchy when it comes to stuff like that. Cause I, just, I don't like seeing anybody suffer needlessly. You know, like I said, if it's a child molester, a child killer, a rapist, things like that, then I go, eh, you know what, they suffered, I don't give a shit. Right. But these are just people that... <laughs> are just trying to live Yeah. in what they have. Like, with the situ- they can't really get out of the situation. Right. They're, they're trying to adapt to, right. their, to their environment. They're trying to do the best that they can to survive in the best way that they know how with the, with the tools that they're given. That they're given, yeah. And now, this numbnuts... While it does benefit us today, well, not me because I don't have a vagina of my own. Um, <laughs> like I said, I don't want to own a vagina. I, I just kind of like visiting vaginas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. He visits vaginas? What the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's such a pig. Um, <laughs> there's something mentally wrong with me. Um, <laughs> we but, know, uh, <laughs> yes. There's something wrong with all of us. Oh, my God. I'm over here laughing at myself. But, yeah, it's just... Anyway, that's my whole take on it. My brain just went blank. Continue. So what he wrote was, uh, wherever, whenever there are poverty and filth and laziness or where the intellectual capacity is cramped, the moral and social feelings blunted, there it will be often found. Wealth, a cultivated intellect, a refined mind, an affectionate heart are comparatively exempt from the ravages of this unmercifully fatal malady. But expose this class to the same physical causes, and they become equal sufferers with the first. So it's he's saying it doesn't matter; it affects everybody equally. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Sims also thought that neonatal tetanus developed from skull bone movement during protracted births. This right here, to test this, Sims used a shoemaker's awl to pry the skull bones of enslaved infants into alignment. What the fuck? These experiments had a 100% fatality rate. I get think. Yeah. Last time I checked, we put a fucking all into somebody's skull. That's, that's the end. Yeah, that's, that's pretty well. That's it. That's 100% of the time. It's like, you couldn't figure this out? You know, I probably not. Sterile. Probably not. <laughs> uh, Sims often performed autopsies on the corpses, which he kept for further research on the condition. He blamed these fatalities on the sloth 
and ignorance of their mothers and the black midwives who attended them, as opposed to the extensive experimental surgeries that he conducted upon the babies. Well, of course, it's never my fault. Not my fault, I yeah. I poked this baby in, a fucking, in the head with a fucking awl, and uh, hey, it's not my fault, it's mom's fault. These fucking idiots. I didn't do that, Rhonda. <laughs> yeah, I, look here. Look here, Laquifa. I didn't do that. Yeah. that. This is all your fault because you're ignorant and smelly and, you know, and fuck you. And you're just less. Yeah, so and you're just your less fault. than I am. So, yeah, I I'm can gonna poke scapegoat you. <laughs> and the, the fucked up thing is I bet you that all of his friends, but no, he's right. He's, he's right. right. Yeah. That'd be his fault. It's the mom's fault. Yeah. The use of enslaved people for medical research was uncontroversial in the antebellum South. Uh a prospectus from the 1830s of the South Carolina Medical College, the leading medical school in the South, pointed out pointed out to prospective students that it had an advantage of a peculiar character. No place in the United States offers as great opportunities for the acquisition of atomical anatomical knowledge subjects being obtained from among the colored population in sufficient number for every purpose and proper dissection carried on without offending any individual in the community. That's Those, right. You go round up all them yeah. and colored fellas. And nobody cares. We, nobody cares. It's okay. We could take 5, 10, 20, 30 of them a day. Nobody yeah. cares about them. Come on here. As long as you darky. pay for them. Those the impediments which exist in so many other What happened? Exist in You broke it. So many other places to the prosecution of this study are not here thrown in the path of the student, public feeling being rather favorable than hostile to the advancement of the science of anatomy. Well, yeah, because keep in mind at the time, one of the things that was done was like a lot of bodies were dug up, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's how they learned about. You know, physiology and anatomy and dissection and things like that. Now they've got live subjects. Yep. That they can go, hey, you know what? If this dude dies, eh, eh. yeah, we're, we're, we're better for it. We're better for it. We, we'll just chop him up. Collateral damage. Yeah, exactly. Hey, like they said, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> exactly. The the college announced in advertisements in the Charleston paper that it had set up a surgery for Negroes and offered to treat without charge while it was in session any interesting cases sent by their owners for the benefit and instruction of their pupils. You know what that's equivalent? You know what I equivocate that to is a guy with a band that says free candy on it. Yeah. There's free candy, but only for special children. The advertisement ends by pointing out that their sole object was to promote the interest of medical education, which I can see, but you can't treat them like chattel. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, some great things have come out of it. Granted, it's just, right. Well, it's kind of like my views on the Nazis, too. So we, we have oh, a yeah. lot of our medical advancements came from the atrocities that happened to the Jews. From Operation Paperclip. That's what that was called. Is that what that was called? When the Americans secretly got um, their information. I can't think of the word I want, um, but you know what I mean. Their intelligence? Yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of good things came out of it, which were better for it today. It's just the way that it came about 
is way less than ethical. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, man. Gynecology, the game out of, you know, uh, yeah, that was it. Murdering racism. Sims's experimental surgeries without anesthesia on enslaved women who could not consent have been described since the late 20th century as an example of racism in the medical profession. Yeah, you think? Yeah. This is seen as part of the historical oppression of black people and vulnerable populations in the United States. Patients of Sims fistula and neonatal tetanus operations were not given available anesthetics. He caused the deaths of babies on whom he operated for the condition. In regards to Sims' discoveries, Dorenda Ojanuga wrote in 1993, His fame and fortune were a result of unethical experimentation with powerless black women. Dr. Sims, the father of gynecology, was the first doctor to perfect a successful technique for the cure of vesicovaginal fistula, yet despite his accolades in his quest for fame and recognition, he manipulated the social institution of slavery to perform human experimentation, which by any standard is unacceptable. Uh, Terry Cap Salas writes in Mastering the Female Pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> That's my book. I'm sorry. Ladies, step off there. That's my book. I am Mastering the Female Pelvis. That Sims' fame and wealth are as indebted to slavery and racism as they are to innovation, insight, and persistence, and he has left behind a frightening legacy of medical attitudes towards, toward and treatments of women, particularly women of color. Drawing on Sims' published autobiography, Case Histories and Correspondence, historian Stephen C. Kenny highlights how Sims' surgical treatment of enslaved infants suffering from neonatal tetanus was a typical but tragically distinctive feature in the career of an ambitious medical professional in the slave South. Individual doctors like Sims and the profession were incentivized in multiple ways through the system of chattel slavery. Many were not only enslaver physicians, but also traded in enslaved people, while at the same time their medical research was advanced directly and significantly through the exploitation of the enslaved population. In a related article exploring the types, frequency, and functions of slave hospitals in the American South, Kenny identifies Sims's private Negro infirmary located behind his office on South Perry. So that was basically his backyard <laughs> surgery. Uh, as an example of a hospital for experimentation where Sims also undertook a series of grueling and dangerous invasive surgeries on enslaved men. Sims used the surgical opportunities presented by long-neglected, chronic, and often incurable cases of illness and injury among the enslaved to sharpen his skills and stake a claim for professional celebrity, all in the context of the profits to be made from human trafficking, one of the South's busiest slave markets. Um... Another author, Harriet A. Washington, in her 2007 book, Medical Apartheid... That's a good, yeah, that's exactly what that is. Writes of Sims' experiments, each naked, unanesthetized slave woman had to be forcibly restrained by other physicians through her shrieks of agony as Sims determinedly sliced, then sutured her genitalia. Facing South, a publication of the Institute for Southern Studies wrote that slaves were forced to hold each other down during surgeries. <laughs> 
How does that would make you feel awful? Really that's awful. Fucking, I'm just. That's actually worse than the Nazis. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to point out that it's it wasn't. Well, just, I mean, they did make the Jews do the same thing. Uh, they made them. If they were doctors, yeah. If they were doctors, they got there, but, but, we're, we're or, talking, you know, but yeah, they're talking about right. untrained fucking yes. black guys and girls yeah. holding each other down. Um, you know, I, I want to point out that it wasn't just the the white Americans that were doing this shit. The Nazis did it. The Japanese did it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I think the Russians, Russians did, did it. it. I'm, my my brain. The Czechs just, did it. Oh, definitely the Czechs did it. Um, so the, the, this is a it's it's a worldwide. It's a common thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a common worldwide thing where people that are viewed as less mm-hmm. get the shitty end of the stick. Always. And there there are a lot of people who defend him, saying you know like, uh, but look what we got out of this, you know. And that's and there was good that came out. There was like, good, like, like we were talking about. Yeah, but like, like I said, my, the thing that eats me up is the way that these things were obtained. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it makes me kind of wonder. And I've got really no right or wrong answer to it. If these things weren't done on the way that they were, would we have that that medical advancement today? Today, right? You know, like uh, like replacing a heart valve. That was that's from. Uh, Germany. Yeah. Um, would we be able to replace heart valves and do organ transplants if it wasn't done in Nazi Germany? And uh, half of me says, yeah, maybe. And the other half goes, ah, maybe not. Mm, yeah. It's it's one of those. And, you know, and, and people, it's easy to become dismissive and complacent on things that don't affect us directly, like a heart valve transplant. My heart's in perfect shape. I don't need a heart valve transplant. I don't need uh, you know, a replacement. I don't need anything like that. Um, so it doesn't affect me. But right. knee replacement, uh, that kind of affects me kind of a lot. A lot, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you're getting ready to fucking bust my knee apart. So that, that affects and my me. My mom just had that a couple of years ago, and that's, that's, that's serious. I'm fucking terrified. I'm going to admit. I'm just, and even, I got great doctors. I am still fucking terrified. It's going to feel so much better like a month after. That I'm is not going to lie to you. At first, <laughs> it's going to be really painful. I, I think I was talking to you guys, but I talked to Dawn about this too, is that I was talking to some of my, uh, my contacts at the recording studios. And, you know, I got a lot of, oh, dude, it's great. Now we're skiing and we're doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, fuck yourself. You can fuck yourself with that no knee pain going skiing and shit like that. God damn it. Right. I'm over here like fucking. I, Limping around basically. I seriously farted hard and my knee hurt. <laughs> like I'm driving down the road and I don't know what I ate, but I ripped one. And all of a sudden my knee. You had to brace went, yourself. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden my, I'm like, God, oh, my fucking knee. Not my butt. <laughs> because that, that was like a quick, sharp pain. Yeah. My knee hurt for like three hours. Three fucking hours. Meanwhile, I'm popping naproxen. You know, I have a Pez dispenser. Yes. Like they're candy. And, you know, not even drinking them down with any fluid. I'm just chewing them up, going, for the love of God, absorb, 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 Faster, absorb, please. Faster, yeah. For fuck's sakes, I'm dying. And I'm, it was a, I passed gas. That's all I did. And I that was it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't hit it on anything. I didn't twist the wrong way. I was sitting on my ass, and I hurt my fucking knee. <laughs> That's why I don't eat Taco Bell, man. I'm afraid of that Taco Bell Rectal blast. Rectal napalm. 
Oh, no kidding, man. That would be a real ball blast. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that might fucking kill me. My leg will fall off. <laughs> Ass will fall out. That's not good. <laughs> That's right. I don't yeah. even know if my medical insurance will cover that. Like, <laughs> what happened to you, Scott? I fucking ate Taco Bell. I don't ever eat fucking real fast food anymore. And then I, uh, I, I passed gas, leg fell off, and now I need a prosthetic sphincter. <laughs> Yeah, Taco Bell's elective yeah. surgery right there, especially for me, man. I was actually surprised, though. I had, uh, on my way to band practice yesterday, I had to stop and get uh, Carl's Jr. because I was just starving. I was in a hurry and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I ate the burger and just maybe a couple of fries, like maybe, I don't know, five or six fries. And it, it was fine. I mean, it sat like a lead pellet in my fucking stomach. Right. <coughs> but I managed not to crap myself or didn't put me in the bathroom, so I was pretty happy about that. That's that was good. Pretty bomb. Yeah. Still don't dare eat McDonald's or fucking Taco Bell or anything like that. That was the thing I had to have yesterday. I was like, I, I cannot live without a Frosty. Oh, yeah. I needed a chocolate Frosty. I love Wendy's. And, like, of course, lactate has to happen before that because that, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Had yeah. I not taken that? But I, ha- I have an idea, though. We can go get Frosties. I've got some spoons in the kitchen. <laughs> I, I, no, Scott. I, just, no. I, I, I might even have some silver somewhere. No. We can do some experiments. <laughs> just say No, no. That's, no. Is that a hard no? Or is that that just, is a hard no. Damn it. <laughs> you can't put sugar in there. It's a bad <sighs> idea. Oh, no. You can you can eat the Frosties. I was just going to use the spoons. When Are you? Yeah. <laughs> See? That could be a yeah, right? <laughs> that's terrible what the fuck is wrong with me oh my god scott needs jesus or something oh. jesus christ the son of the church oh, something is wrong with him and changes oh god. Cha- changes medication no i'm not catholic i don't play with little boys no <laughs> Actually, i guess it kind of did true, come yeah. from there yeah it's been for a while yeah okay continue so Finally, in 1877, Sims suffered two angina attacks and in 1880 contracted a severe case of typhoid fever. Thank fucking God. <laughs> well, just wait. Uh, w. Gill Wiley, an early 20th century biographer, said that although Sims suffered delirium, he was constantly contriving instruments and conducting operations still. What the fuck? After several months and a move to Charleston to aid his convalescence, Sims recovered in June of 1881. He traveled to France. After his return to the United States in September of 1881, he began to complain of an increase in heart problems. In 1881, Sims was one of four physicians asked for an opinion about whether medical errors had contributed to the recent death of President Garfield. Nah, doctors don't make mistakes. Nah. According to Wiley, Sims consulted with doctors for his unknown cardiac condition both in the United States and in Europe. He was positive that he had a serious disease of the heart and it caused deep mental depression. He was halfway through writing his autobiography and planning a return visit to Europe when he died of a heart attack on November 13th, 1883 in New York City. Oh, I'm so sad for him. It breaks <laughs> my heart. It really does. Yeah. He had just visited a patient with his son, H. Marion Sims, and he is buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. That's just... Uh, 
Like, you sure you don't want somebody to do a experimental heart surgery on you while you're awake? Mm, let me think. No, I'm going to take a hard pass on that one. <laughs> however. A hard pass, yeah. However, if you got some spoons over there. <laughs> so they, in, in, um, on the South Carolina Capitol grounds, they had a monument to him. Uh, but they ended up in 2018 taking it down because of the whole, like, you know, experimenting on enslaved black people. Right. Uh, and here's my thing. I understand that, you know, to, to make medical advancements, you have to experiment. That that makes sense. Yes. It's, it's kind of trial and error. However, fuck, man. I, I, I would think that, and this is just my own brain going, but you would think that even then that there would be some compassion to look and go, okay, we know we have to experiment. Let's do it in the... It, in the kindest way possible. Yeah, in the kindest because it's going to cause pain. Yeah, pain, and, and that's that's just the the nature of the beast. But let's do it in the most kind, ethical way possible. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I found this out with people working for me uh, is that if you treat people like shit, they'll still work for you. But they're going to do a shit job. They're going to do just enough to get by. Yep. However, when you treat people as best as you can and they know that you're putting in the effort, right? they will move mountains yeah. for you without you even asking. You just have to hint, hey, man, I need that mountain moved over there. And like 50 people jump on it and sit there. We're going to move that fucking mountain. Why? Well, we don't know why, but we're going to do it because Scott needs it. Right. Because we feel valued. Yeah, because you feel, people feel valued. You know, I fucking, I just... It just disgusts me on every level at how some things come about. I know? agree. I mean, I'm I thankful for it because, like, you know, people like yourself, you need good gynecology. Yeah. And um, I, I can tell you some stories there. Yeah. Yep. I, Even now, today, in these times. <laughs> hey, have you told your mom the news? Yes. Okay, good. Can we announce it? Yes. No? Well, I mean. No, maybe. Maybe. Well. Special episode? Not yet? Okay. Not yet. <laughs> All right, no, just, just curious, just curious. But you know, uh, all the women in my life that I that that I care about, y'all need good gynecology as much as we uh, guys need good urologists, right? You know, um, <laughs> I like it when my doctor jiggles my nuts because <laughs> she's a female. <laughs> Which I get her laughing every time. We had a video conference or a video meeting uh, last week. Yeah. Last Friday. And I felt sorry for her, man. Because she, she has to have her mask on and shit like that. Oh, yeah. Even on the video conference. She actually had to take her mask off. She was just cracking up. Just cracking up. She's like, you got to stop, man. I can't even breathe. I can't breathe through all this. <laughs> yeah. It's just me being me. Just me being me. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Are you ready to wrap this one up, sweetheart? Yes. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out our Patreon account. Help a brother out. Also, uh, share this podcast as often as you can. We changed our platform of who is uh, hosting us uh, to Anchor, and it helps us out a lot. And, you know, better equipment and all that good shit. So, this show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.